Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Spamming Zero. All right, so we are, what, episode... I think we're coming up on episode six. Is this six or seven? I can't even remember, but I'm telling you, like, things are just moving really, really fast. And we are so excited that so many of you have joined us on this journey so far. Excited about today's episode, because today we're going to be joined by one of the people that is just one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. Uh, just super kind and super nice. Jeannie Walters. She's also one of the top influencers when it comes to customer experience that there is. Uh, she's the CEO and founder of Experience. Experience Investigators, which is a global experience consulting firm. And she has over 20 years of experience helping companies improve loyalty, retention, employee engagement, and just overall customer experience. I've known Jeannie since 2014, and I'm excited to have her on the show to talk about something that is coming up in a live webinar that we're doing at Red Route. If you are not familiar with it, please join us. It's going to be live on LinkedIn on a Thursday at 10 Central Time. So go find us on LinkedIn or YouTube or Facebook. And this is a kind of a preview to that. And it's about flipping your customer experience and your employee experience for a competitive advantage in the recession. Jeannie was named one of Huffington's Post top 100 most social customer service pros on Twitter. Follow her on Twitter. Highly recommend. And uh, just an incredible human being. Stay tuned and we will see you soon. I'm James. And I'm Brian. And this is Spamming Zero. Welcome to the show, Jeannie Walters. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here, of course. So Jeannie, when we were coming up with the name Spamming Zero, it was actually Brian's idea, and he was like, hey, so why don't we call it Spamming Zero? Everyone calls a phone number, and they want to just like try to get to a human. What's the first thing you think about when you call a phone line? The first thing I do is look at my watch and make sure <laughs> I have time, because a lot of times it like whatever time you think it's going to take, you have to double it. Longest hold time you've ever waited. Oh my gosh. Well, this is terrible. But one time our neighbor, she's fine, but I had a cop show up and say she was, cro she was a pedestrian. She was crossing the street. She got hit by a car. So she was in the hospital and she had just moved, but her license still had her neck, the next door on it. So they came to my house and said, do you know this person? And I was like, oh my gosh. So I was trying to find people to call. And then I was really worried about her. So I called the hospital and I said, I'm checking on a patient. And they were like, please hold. I'm waiting, 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 waiting. Finally, I'm like, it was like 11 o'clock at night too. So I, I was already in my pajamas and everything. So I'm like changing with it on speakerphone. I literally took the phone with me and drove to the ER and nobody picked up the phone. It was about 45, 50 minutes and it was at, and it was for a hospital. <laughs> so I laughed because she's fine, everything's fine. I was able to see her there, but uh, it's just, it's one of those examples where I think sometimes we, we disconnect from like what's really happening on the other end and people are living their lives and they're trying to get stuff done and they have other things happening like nobody wakes up and says, I really want to call customer service today, right? That never happens. Such a I love thing. that. Well, I hate that, obviously. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, love, I love the way that you put that. Like to me, the, the strongest visual for me is always contacting customer service is a task on people's to-do list, right? And you just really Absolutely. need to like frame it that way and think about it that way. And then 
the goals of it from the company on the other end become very like simple and human. Delivering against them, very hard, uh, but at least what you're going for becomes simple. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I think about is like, what else is happening in their real lives? Because we often think that customers are, I mean, the way we do customer journey mapping and everything, it's like they're marching through, they're so happy, right? <laughs> and oh, if they call service, they get great service, they're happy, but why are they calling? Something's not right, they have a question that they can't get answered. I mean, there's so much. And meanwhile, like I said, they're checking their watch. They're like on their lunch break or they're, they're in the car for 10 minutes trying to get something done. And it's just like, we really have to think about what's actually happening in somebody's life. Not how they're interacting with us, but wh why are they interacting with us? and what's actually happening in their moment right there because we've all had those times when we've had to hang up and move on with our lives right we're like we can't do this i think i waited two and a half hours one time <sighs> that just hurt and it was heart. so important that i had to wait that long you know it was like i had to leave like my phone and it would be like oh yeah, yeah you're would you like us to call you back when you're ready and i'm like yeah well yeah that happened already once before and then it hung up on me <laughs> <laughs> right oh gosh that's the worst right um oh my god but like you wait, you wait so long on hold all the time. And a lot of times the business can't necessarily control that, which is fine, right? Like you do what you can do. And I think this happened, especially during the pandemic when volume of calls went through the roof and hold times were just insane all over the place. It was one of their only ways of communicating with the business and a brand because they couldn't go to the brand. This happened a lot with like financial institutions. I know that because I was, I was helping serve that industry for a while. And like, they were just, they didn't even know what to do. We don't have people coming in our branches anymore. How do we manage people's money? <laughs> right? yeah. And there is a natural negative part of calling just a brand in general, but you bring up a really good point that I, I love, which is this idea that every single moment that a brand has with somebody matters. And it's, it's, it's deeper than just like the positive and the negatives and the sum of all those things. But it's also the person on the other line that's calling your brand, they're not thinking about, oh, well, I'm dealing with the customer service team. That's different than what I dealt with with the sales team. Peter Mahoney, we had on this show uh, a little bit ago, and he put it beautifully. And that's just like, they think about your brand as one cohesive brand. So all the people that are managing all the little touch points, like your customer service team might be handling those those specific touch points. Sales might be handling something different. Marketing would be handling something different. People don't see it that way. They see it as one brand. That's their experience. And it's the sum of all those parts. I call that customer journey by org chart, right? We, we tell customers where they are in our org chart instead of actually respecting the journey that they're taking because you know when I do presentations I have the slide of there's a sign next to a sidewalk and it says please use the sidewalk but there's clearly a worn path through the lawn diagonally and what they needed to do was wait for that path to be created by the people walking and then put the sidewalk there but they didn't they put the sidewalk where they wanted the sidewalk and then they said everybody better do it this way and customers are like nope <laughs> we're going to do it the way that, that works best for us. I mean, I do a lot of journey mapping with clients and I cannot tell you how many organizations say, oh, we have journey maps and they don't. They have 
what they believe is the process inside. So they say, well, first they go to marketing, then they go to sales, and then we introduce them to their account manager who they've never met, they've never heard of. And then we, you know, and they we force people through how we're set up. And that's the same thing you're talking about. I mean, how many, t this just happened to me today. I had to call, I'm gonna like have to take a deep breath as I'm telling the story. But <laughs> um, I had to call to reschedule a doctor's appointment. And I called the number for the office and it was like basically saying, we're not answering the phones in the office anymore because everybody's short staffed, I get that. So you have to go into your account. Well, of course I couldn't go into my account because of various things like that weren't working. So then they put me through central scheduling. And when they picked up, I said, well, I need to reschedule. Oh, that's somebody else. <laughs> I need to send you back to the office. And I was like, no, too late. I'm in the cycle. I mean, things like that happen because on their side, it works great. She just sent me to where she's supposed to send me. That works, but they're not looking at it from that customer's perspective. And that's the, that's the disconnect that we still have in most organizations is that we think our processes work great, but we never take the time to really look at what's happening with the customer. Brian's big smiles. By the way, if you watch our podcast, not listen, not just listen, you will see Brian, he gets like really big, smiles and that's when <laughs> that's when you know like something is very very good that, that that's being said because he gets really big smiles he can't hide it it's it's i've like also i've also been wondering whether you're starting to pick up on the the facial cues of like oh i have something that i want to like jump in and say and that way we're not like crossing over each other I'm trying as best as I can. So Jeannie, shift gears a little bit. And it could be the very same same topic, but I'm curious. Like what, what is something that is just like top of mind for you right now? What's your hot take? I think there's all this discussion right now around the angst of automation you know the hand wringing of like the robots are going to take over and it always reminds me of when i i'm going to date myself here but one of my very first jobs the ceo was very passionate he was the founder i totally get that but he was like voicemail what is this voicemail thing that's ridiculous we need real people so it was so frustrating as somebody who worked there because instead of having voicemails i would have all these little paper slips of call so-and-so back, call so-and-so back, even though we were living in the age of voicemail, right? Like everybody else used voicemail. And so when I hear that like discussion of, oh no, people need people all the time. I'm like, no, if you do it right, like today is a perfect example of if I could call somebody, call a number and handle that in an automated way, I would be happier. But instead I have to leave a message and hope that they call me back, not during this podcast recording, <laughs> and it's like all the extra steps. So I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on the fact that, you know, yes, humans are really good at certain things and we absolutely need humanity in certain moments. But a lot of customer experience is just helping somebody get something done faster. And totally. I think when we talk about like, it's everything's gotta be a wow moment and everything's gotta be these things. No, they don't. I mean, my the, the mission of my company and you've heard me say this before, is to create fewer ruined days for customers. And that's because that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to get somebody to where they need to go so that they can feel a certain way. And sometimes that feeling is just, oh, I got that done, cool. I'm gonna move on with my day. And if we can do that with accessible and easy and respectful and personalized automation, then I think we should stop the hand-wringing about it. I wanna unpack this a little bit. I don't mean to make this about anything related to red route at all but it's it's very prominent you know, for us because like we we help solve 
through automation. I'm going to give you some examples of what I feel like is true. And Brian will get, we'll get some more smiles from Brian right now. I know it. So think about what Alexa and Siri have done to your day-to-day lives. And you may be thinking though, those that are listening, you may be thinking, well, it's really not done anything. Well, let me give you examples of, of what you're not thinking about. You get in a car today, your phone connects to your car and you get a text message. You then give it a prompt. And you say, hey, Siri, text my wife back or text this person back. It's all through voice, right? We now play our music primarily through means of saying, hey, Siri, play this song. Or, hey, Alexa, play this music. We turn our light bulbs on through voice. We do all of these things now in the consumer day-to-day that are all done through, you guessed it, automation. That's automation, folks. And what's so interesting to me as a marketer is how that has changed the way we need to be writing content. Because now, voice search outperforms a Google search. And this isn't by a small measure, folks. This is by a huge one. Automation, when done right, and when it's solving a problem quickly is the key to all of it. It's what creates good experience. It's what makes memorable experience. And if you really want to think about unpacking that wow moment, because I know that's kind of become buzzy, I kind of believe in the wow moment a little bit. So I'm going to I'm going to combat this a little bit because I do think that there is a difference between trying to be so focused on a wow moment that you forget about the basics and you forget about the idea of like, well, why are we here to begin with? And that's to solve the problem first. But there's an icing on the cake of making the solving that problem entertaining, which that to me creates the wow moment. Like I think to myself all the time, you waited on hold for 45 minutes. I think the average time like during peak season is at least 40 minutes for most brands something like that crazy maybe for higher call volume call centers it might be 20. i waited two and a half hours imagine you had two and a half hours of my time and you did nothing to build my relationship you did nothing to make me like your brand more (laughs) you did nothing to get to know me more you did nothing to get any data from me you did nothing but let me sit there on hold and i think this is a very very strong untapped potential i kind of think that it's gone through peaks and valleys where almost it's hopping from are the robots going to take everybody's job to can these robots do anything and do they like belong here at all? Is it even AI, right? Is it fake? And like all these companies are lying and this like jumping back and forth that happens over the last, I mean, even going back like 25 years in this space, there's been this jump back and forth between robots are the future and they're going to take over and they're going to get rid of all the people to like the robots stink and they can't do anything. You got to clear them out entirely. And I think that the robots today, like by and large, fall more in the bucket of like, does this really belong here at all? Is this providing value at all? Mm -hmm. To be totally honest. And we've obviously, from our business standpoint, gone deep into this technology and we understand the way in which these things are built, what the different vendors do, all of that fun and juicy stuff. And to me, where it falls down is it's not the technology, right? You speak to an Alexa. Alexa needs to be able to answer any question on the face of the earth. That is a really, really hard technical problem. And it's in the voice channel. When you talk about answering the questions that people are calling customer service for, like that is way easier. You are operating in a much smaller domain. To me, the issue that is producing bad robots experiences is the tools that are out there are requiring the people inside these organizations that run customer service departments to 
build that AI experience themselves. They are giving some sort of GUI with drag and drop flow building things, hook in your own APIs, like come up with all the training data yourself, like go and build this product yourself using some like very basic form of tooling. And then you're taking this person who they're not a AI product builder. Like they don't know what they're doing. They're not an expert in designing and building these experiences, but they're saying, okay, go and do it. Or you can pay us like seven figures and like we'll have a consulting team come in and build it and then like they build what they build and then they leave and they move on to the next project and it like sits there and goes stale over time. So I think that it's it's in this place where the technology is there, right? Like the raw underlying technology is there, it works, but the problem that has existed is in the delivery of the technology to the market for this specific use case of handling customer support interactions. We do it differently and you can certainly go and kind of check us out online and, and our approach to this sort of solution. But to me, when we think about the robots and, and where they're at in their journey, yes, it feels like it's a little bit kind of like up on the hype scale again and people are getting excited about it. but. A lot of the experiences, like we talk to people every day. How much volume is your chatbot really handling? And a lot of times it's, it's, it's underwhelming. <laughs> Have you seen that viral video of the robot shooting a basketball? Have you seen that? I don't think I have. Me right. neither. I feel like I've seen every viral video because my kids always run up with their phones and show you me. Gotta, you got to look this up. And for those that are listening, go look it up too. I'm going to laugh at this because like this caused such a big uproar like people were like oh my gosh like how how soon before like we're just watching robots play basketball <laughs> just go watch this video all right first of all that robot moves incredibly slow i'm fat and i can move faster than that on the court okay so let's get that out of the way right now number two it took that robot three seconds to shoot the basketball sure it made a full court shot Sure, or half-court shot. Sure, it made a couple of threes. But Brian, you've seen me shoot. Do you think it could outshoot me? Absolutely freaking not. Do you think it could play defense? Is it going to be able to jump? It might be able to jump, but it's not going to be able to jump the same way as a human. I remember this whole, like, trend of marketers getting worried about how it was going to take over marketing and, like, robots were, were going to do marketing for us and, and, and we were no longer going to have jobs. I, you know this, Jeannie. Like, you remember all of this stuff. And, and it's, it's, it's crazy to me. Let's just call it out for what it is. There will never be a moment that robots can be so sophisticated that it can replace a human. And here's why. No matter how we look at it, humans want some sort of interaction with another human. And sure, we can make ro robots and automation more human-like, and I think that that's a good thing. But no matter what, it is the combination of automation and humans that creates mm -hmm. powerful experiences. And that is ultimately what we should all be striving for in our brands, in our interactions, and in how we approach AI and how we approach robots. Mm -hmm. I would never believe in any way that like iRobot will ever happen with Will Smith. It ain't gonna happen. Right, right. <laughs> You know, and I love the way you said that with, you know, it's the combination, because one of the things that I always say is when we're talking about customer experiences in our organization, it's really easy to tell ourselves the good stuff, right? Like whenever I talk to anybody for the first time, they say, oh, you don't understand. Our customers love us because that's who they're thinking of. They're thinking of the customers who do love them. And so one of the things that I recommend is think about your worst customer on their worst day, because if you can solve their problems, then you can really do a lot more. But you you think about somebody who is in a situation and we've all seen this where yeah 
processes, they're all working great, automation's working great for 99.9% .9 of your people. And there's that one customer who calls in with such a wacky thing that we don't know how to solve it right away. Or something is, you know, urgent, you know, if you're in financial services or healthcare, all these different things, and they need a person. And if we're making them sit on hold because that person that they need is literally saying, let me tell you where the login is, 50 times instead of actually going through and helping somebody who needs it we're missing an opportunity to actually show up with more humanity when it really matters i like to say like save the people for what people do one of my favorite examples is the brands that one don't have a phone number and mm -hmm. what they do is they like will put a chat up there's no way to communicate with a human being and it's an entire like giant library of faq questions <laughs> yep like find your answer. Those are to, so sad. Like all of our search, and, but the, so the crazy thing is, is so many brands do it. Oh, I I cannot it stand purposely. it. I know they do. They do it purposely because they don't Which want is, you to call. Yeah, and that's that's the part that I would love for you to dive a little. Both you and Brian dive deep on this next part. I want you guys to to help, to help our listeners understand this. That little area of like, okay, well, we're a brand. We've made a decision. We're we're gonna get rid of our phone number. We're gonna we're gonna do all this that we we just talked about. How can brands measure the negative impact of that and the positive impact of that? Because because well, I think all, that's I the bet key. They have a sales number, right? I bet they still have a sales phone number. Ooh, yeah. Fire by Jeannie. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> because that shows their priorities. They just wanna get you. They don't really care about once they get you. And part of it is, you know, as business people and traditional like business education and everything else, you look at a traditional business plan and what does it talk about? Acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. How do you find the, the people? How do you get the people? That's where everything is. And then you turn the page and it goes into operations, which is all internally focused. So it's mm -hmm. like, once you get the customer, you don't have to worry about the customer. That's how we have been trained. And that's why this is so hard because we are literally saying we need to flip the script. And if you don't serve people, well, first of all, good luck with that, right? They will tell everybody they know. Every time I sit on a plane or anything and say I'm in customer experience, I always hear about people's worst experiences. They will tell a stranger about those. <laughs> so the word of mouth negative marketing alone, I mean, that's one thing. In today's market, it also affects your employee retention and how you hire people and who you hire and if they wanna work with you. And then, you know, if you're spending all your money to get sales, you're going to have high costs of service. You're going to have low retention renewal rates. You're gonna have high customer churn. You're going to have miserable employees who tell their friends not to work there. I actually just worked with a client and we were in a workshop and I said, how many people have told a friend to work here? And they, one of them said, I can't. And that was a wake up call to the leaders because it was all about the fact that the customers were so miserable that the employees are miserable. So like all these things go together and it just baffles me that we still treat customer experience like it's this extra thing or it's nice or it's fluffy. It's a flipping winning business strategy every single time, every single time in a recession, in anything, you win with customer experience that's done well. And a lot of that is understanding your customer journey enough to know when and how and where to serve them in the best way. So if you're taking a phone number away, I've worked with clients. One of them actually said, oh, we just turned off the phones because it was getting too bad. And I was like, uh. if that's our answer as business people, like shame on us, we need to lead.
and that's not leading, in my humble opinion. So that's all I think about it. <laughs> that was a mic so, drop, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. I'm not sure how I could possibly follow that up. So we had somebody on the show a couple weeks ago, and we were kind of like deep in a topic, ping-ponging it around, going back and forth. And the idea came up of like prioritizing the like internal efficiency metrics around customer service and customer experience over prioritizing like actually helping the consumers solve their problems and have a good experience. And instinctually, what Ben said was, if you don't prioritize the customers, then you won't have a business. And I think that that's like the really simple of it, right? You will see it across every metric that you're looking at, right? And and you dropped a lot of them, right? Retention, lifetime value, every, every depending on what line of your business you're in, everything kind of rolls up into there. But it's like, right, what, what are you kind of doing then, right? Like James, you talk a lot about like brand promise, right? And and a company has something that they stand for and it's something even more than their product that they're selling to their customers. And if it is a, a situation where you're getting somebody to swipe their credit card and then you're running and you're hiding, like, is that in your brand promise? Is, is that kind of what you're telling the world that you stand for? And the hard part in all of this is executing against what is the very simple Thing that consumers want. There are a lot of problems where it's like, we don't know what people want and it's this endless maze of finding that answer. When it comes to customer service, it's simple what people want. Got something on their to-do list, they wanna cross it off, when it's convenient for them, how it's convenient for them, and they want you to be there and be able to provide that. And where it falls down is is in the execution and, and for the companies that are kind of thrown in the towel on that. You know, there's actually a famous, and I'm going into a different sort of rabbit hole here. There's a famous Reed Hoffman quote, actually, right? The founder of LinkedIn wrote his book, Blitzscaling, which is sort of like a, a Bible of sorts for some in the startup community. And he has all these different like rules, laws, concepts that he lays out and one of them is basically don't worry about customer service like while you're scare scaling like just don't worry about it 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 doesn't matter i've actually personally been playing with like <laughs> some content to create around that right a lot of companies that grew up kind of idolizing that and use that as a guidepost for the future and what to build now right we talk about the recession they're kind of coming to a head here and maybe they've raised a lot of money they've poured a ton of money into customer acquisition and it's always been like oh yeah we're like figuring out operational things we're going to grow the ltv over time whatever 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 now suddenly the venture dollars are gone the ltv is still terrible they got bad reviews they got bad everything and they're sitting there and they're like Whew, what now i think that's an important thing to highlight because there is this attitude about service is a an expense it's a cost center and if you actually think about it in the way that i believe we should think about it you know we always start with something we call the customer experience mission and that's really like who are we and how do we show up for our customers no matter what no matter what product they're buying no matter what 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 agreement do we have there and the reason that we start there is because sometimes you have to make trade-offs you have to say you know what we're not going to be the fastest but we will be the most accurate or the vice versa you know like there are times where you can't be all things to all people but if you get really clear on that then everybody in your organization isn't just making judgment calls based on what they think in the moment which is what happens if you don't have that and then we we go into something called a success statement and that's where we literally link okay what are your organizational goals here well we want to maximize profitability x percent cool one of the ways you can do that well the the very basic you know calculation there is hey let's increase revenue let's decrease expenses cool so if you do service better you actually do both of those things because you're going to increase revenue long term and you're going to keep 
customers who otherwise would walk, and you're going to decrease the cost of service when you do it well. So there's just so much here, but the math is a little harder. It's a lot easier in sales to say, look, we got new customers, and not even talk about the ones who walked out the door. This is a little more complicated, but it all connects. I don't know if the math is harder. I think it's more so the area of the formula that we're focused on Mm -hmm. is the wrong part of the formula. Because here's what I... We all know this. If you find a raving fan of your brand and ask them to go tell people, do you think that's going to be cheaper or more expensive than if I run $50,000 of ads? It's The problem is we're focused on the wrong part of the formula. I don't think it's the math is hard. I think it's more we're focused on the wrong part. And a good example of this is I think the expectation of where we should focus on that part of the formula is often set, at least from staying on the context of like seed early stage startups that are trying to grow and taking venture capital is it's actually done at the VC level, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, VCs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. You're so focused on the acquisition side that they're not focused on the formula side of this is like, by the way, this is, have you ever heard of the, the buzz term influencer? Maybe. Do you, do you, Maybe do, does everybody realize why that is even a term? It's a term to solve this very problem. Yep. Does anybody know why the term fan exists it's a term for this very problem this has existed since the beginning of time and we just keep focusing so much on the wrong part of the formula and i don't know if there's a single person alive that would argue that retention yields more profitability than acquisition because there's just no way you can combat that math there's just no way you can think about a a basic funnel and org structure that most companies are built around and you've got the top of the funnel you have marketing and in a b2b environment you, you have sales as well and what are what's their job right their, their job is to bring growth to the business and to to grow revenue and, and to acquire new customers then you have post-purchase right what departments are there right down funnel you have retention you have customer success you have cx depending on kind of how it's all set up you have support and classically, according to funnels, like their job is to keep customers, right? And, and it's not necessarily explicitly to drive new business. VCs f- find like a, a viral growing business where it's like the number one growth channel is word of mouth and they all line up with their checkbooks, right? Everybody right. wants the outcome of what comes out the other side. But I do think that there is like, just kind of in the structure of how organizations work, there is some mental blocker around marketing is bringing growth and post-sale is is retaining customers. And if we can retain customers at the same rate for less money and put that money towards marketing, then we're gonna have a bigger pie in the end. So I, I can see how it, how, how people end up thinking about it that way while of course, mm-hmm. um, agreeing wholeheartedly with what you're saying and I by the way the i do thing... i do see it too i see why people think that way and and see that way i just think like let's pull the whole formula put it in front of people and as businesses let's determine especially right now that the focus really should be more on the on the ladder with the, with the retention mm-hmm. as much as possible but anyway sorry Jeannie. go ahead no, that's okay. I, w- I was just going to say, I think sometimes we also, we being kind of leaders and investors and everybody, fall into this magical thinking that, you know what, every single person is a prospect for us and there's unlimited growth. And there are still a finite number of people on the planet and there's, there's a more finite number of people who are 
qualified and interested in what you sell, and there's yet an even more finite number that can afford it and wants it at the right time and all those things. And so sometimes when we focus so much on the new growth, we miss the opportunity of, you know what, we can't get the whole pie, but let's say we get 50%. Wouldn't it be better to hang on to that 50% than lose 30% of it and not have that market to even go back to? And what comes to mind here, can I use a brand? Can I talk about a brand? Oh yes. I am a huge fan of this company. I am like, I literally love my Peloton. Okay, I love it. I know all the instructors, like they're my best friends. Like my, my family makes fun of me. They hear me singing when I take my classes. So I love my Peloton and I love all the apps. And what they did was they invested so heavily in growth because during the pandemic, everybody wanted a Peloton that they all of a sudden they were like, whoa, not everybody wants a Peloton, <laughs> right? Like. That's a great example of that kind of thinking of like, wow, we're going to get everybody everywhere. And so let's put all of our eggs in that growth basket. And then all of a sudden they had some missteps with their customer experience. They were kind of struggling with delivery. They were doing all these things because they were so focused on getting people to plop down the credit card that they were missing this. Now, again, I love them. And I think everybody should have one and it's really fun. But it's just a good example of what can happen because they had to scale so far back so quickly. They had to, you know, stop some manufacturing, all sorts of things because they just realized like, whoa, maybe we hit kind of the cap on where we are today. So that's, Great. that's I think, where we need to think about is not just how do we constantly funnel growth, but what do we do to really respect and maintain the people who are already on board? Time for one more, James, or you cut me off and putting a bow on? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are at time. I guess me and Jeannie are going to have plenty of time coming up here on our yeah. LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook Live, which all of you are going to have to tune into. So we will cut it here. We got to end with the final question, which we ask everybody. Tell us about an unforgettable experience that you've had. I always love to talk about independent places for this. And when I was, when my kids were younger, there's a local toy store here in Oak Park, Illinois, Geppettos, shout out to Geppettos. And they had this incredible service around the holidays where you could buy the present. They would wrap it and keep it for you until Christmas Eve. Mm. I mean, just a little thing that as a parent with young children, I just remember being blown away by that and thinking like, it was so unexpected that they offered that. It's a small store. I don't know where they put all these things. And they just made it magical for both the kid and they relieved all this stress for parents by this really small thing that made a huge difference. Geppetto is a really smart name for a toy company because right? I'm pretty sure they had to have come up with that from Pinocchio. Oh, yeah. G Geppetto, yeah, sure. he's the, toy, he's the maker toy maker that created yeah, Pinocchio. Maker. That's mm -hmm. a smart name, and I like that. Yeah. Because as, yeah. as somebody who has four kids myself, like I would eat that alive. <laughs> right. Are you, uh, are, you, are you spending some time thinking about company names these days, James? Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> like all the time. It's so interesting that you bring that up, right? <laughs> Stay tuned for a reveal in September. <laughs> hey oh, All right. So, Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us. We've had a blast with you, and we'll continue to have a blast with you very soon. Sounds great. Thank you both. Thanks, Jeannie.